Man, I lost earth like a long time ago on that, right? Like, so I wanted to just show you what majesty in a manger. Man, if you would turn me, please, to Psalm 19, please. Psalm chapter 19. And I want, you to, I want you to see something with me this morning. As we kind of get into this, man, I just, I love the picture of creation. And when you really understand manger and feeding trough and God with us and Emmanuel, and you begin to draw this picture of the very one who is actually the one we celebrate in a manger is the very one who created the heavens and the earth. And man, today I want it to be just kind of like this awe and wonder moment to be, to be like the very one who literally left heaven, the one who is the eternal forever, the eternal past, the eternal future has always been, right? This is God who now is in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who's always been and always will be, found this fullness of time came. We saw that last week, Galatians 4. When the fullness of time came, there was this moment that God put on flesh that was found in a feeding trough to the virgin birth of Mary. Like, Church, to, to unpack that and the reality of that and just the greatness and the majesty and the glory and the awe and the wonder of the very one that was born and was laid in a feed trough. Like none of that makes sense. None of that makes sense. Like there was nothing magnificent about the birth of Jesus, but everything about it was miraculous. And we're going to unpack that even tonight and look at it briefly of, of what was so boring and what was so non-magnificent about the whole surroundings, but yet everything was so miraculous. When you look at the Virgin Mary, she was just a teenage girl. When you look at Joseph, he's just a carpenter. And you look at, at Nazareth and Bethlehem, two places that are not really even on the map. There are no places. And then to top it all off, you're in literally a, a, a stable with animals and then this actually gift from God is born in a manger, in a feed trough. There's nothing magnificent about any of that story, that a king was born. But everything about it is so miraculous that God came to you and I and put on flesh. And the very one who spoke the stars into existence, the very one who spoke the heavens and the earth, is the very one who finds himself in a feed trough. Church, I believe that we are his greatest creation. He didn't come for the, the, the trees. He didn't come for the whales. He didn't come for the animals. He came for his creation. We are his greatest creation. And when we understand that, we realize that God left heaven and put on flesh to save his greatest creation, and that's you and I. But man, I want you to see this because the awe and wonder of the, the, the vast depth of the universe and God's creation that we have the greatest telescopes that can, come on, watch this, it can only get us so far. We have not depth, we have not gone to the depths of the universe yet. We don't know where it ends. It just keeps going. And then you saw I loved and I wanted this whole zooming out of the earth and I lose it early. I'm like trying to follow the earth and I'm like, boop, it's gone. And like, it just keeps going and going and going and going. And you hear me say it like just earth itself is a dot amongst many, many other dots in this universe. And yet God created the heavens and the earth, the very dwelling place of so many billions of other dots called his greatest creation, mankind, men and women together on this one small dot called earth amongst the whole universe of dots where we get lost really quickly. 
And yet there's billions and billions and billions of even smaller dots like ants, and that's God's greatest creation of mankind. And then sin showed up and blew it. And then God had to put on flesh to save his greatest creation that God came to earth and put on flesh. And Psalm 19 verse one says this, the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse are declaring the work of his hands. Man, I love this verse. It, 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 it speaks to his majesty. It speaks to God's grandeur. It speaks to his glory. It speaks to the power and the authority. When, when, you, when you unpack this, it look, look, the heavens are telling the glory of God. They're telling a story. Like, like when you can look up, and I'm a stargazer, man. On a clear night, you can find myself out, outside. Like when I'm driving around in a police car, I will find myself in a cemetery. You're like, oh, that sounds like fun. No, it's just really dark in a cemetery. Like there's not a whole lot of bright lights in a cemetery. So I park the police car on a super bright night, and I just lay out, and I just look at the stars, and it's so dark, but yet it's so brilliant. And they tell a story of, of, look at this, the heavens are telling the glory, the majesty and the excellence of God by his creation. And then the stars, the expanse, that's the stars are declaring, they are screaming the work of his hands. And when you see work of his hands, it speaks of his ability which means nothing is impossible for God. Remember when Gabriel came to Mary and he's telling the whole story, Mary, hey, you're the favored one. This is a big deal. Like you're gonna give birth to, to the savior of the world. You're gonna name him Emmanuel. And Mary's like, oh, this is, woo, but how can that be? I'm a virgin, this is crazy. I don't understand, that's impossible. And then Gabriel goes into the story of, well, I know your relative Elizabeth, you know, she was barren. She wasn't able to have children. She's in her old age. Guess what? She's six months pregnant. And then he says this, for nothing will be impossible for God. And like, this is the Christmas story. For nothing will be impossible for, why? Because the stars are screaming that nothing's impossible for God. God spoke these things into existence in a breath, in a word. He created the heavens and the earth. It's amazing, man. It's just day four. The sun, the moon, and the stars also. This is the grandeur and the excellence and the glory of God. And if the heavens and if the stars are just screaming his majesty and his excellence and his glory, how about you and I to understand this is why we worship. This is why we praise. This is why we celebrate that God truly did come to his creation and put himself in the midst of his creation and became like his creation in the form of man. Church, it's just, it's stunning. I mean, we've been giving out these bracelets for about a month now that say Jesus is the reason for the season. And I know, and I, I love Christmas, man. I love the Christmas tree. I love the gifts, the presents, the wrapping. It's amazing. But man, in all of that, we just, we just cannot lose sight that it was God who came to man and put himself in a manger. And that was Jesus Christ, who is God, who left heaven and put on flesh so that he could fix the problem with man, which is sin and the mission of the major, because there was true majesty, glory and honor and that which he created all things that scream his majesty found himself in that which he created on this dot, which is called the earth laying in a manger and it brought that which was grander and amazing all the way down to literally a stable. A, a place where animals are 
and we lay the creator of the heavens and the earth, the, 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 the heavens declare and the stars are screaming how powerful, how majesty, his excellence, his worth, his value. They just scream it based off the work of his hands that he is all powerful. And you find all of that laying in a manger. Not really celebrated, not having a huge party. This is the king of all kings. This is God himself who put on flesh. And it was surrounded by a bunch of animals and it was surrounded by some shepherds which are considered to be thieves and they're the lowlifes of the lowlife. If you couldn't get a job, you became a shepherd in those days. They were untrusted. They weren't at your dinner table. No one's inviting them over. They were stinky, smelly, and known to be thieves. No one, they, weren't, they weren't high-end at all. But yet these are the ones that the angel shows up and says, go. For any of you today, a Savior has been born. So sure, what is it that we truly come to see in all of the wonder? If you would just turn back a few pages, please, to Psalm chapter 8. And then we'll get into the message. And I just, I mean, I just, I, I just going over this for, for, for some weeks right, right now and coming into today, man, it's just been so much in my heart going, God, it's just, it's so big. When, when you understand majesty and a manger, you look at God's splendor and his wonder of his creation and to realize that Jesus is the creator. And you look at this, man, you, we have to, man. This is my hope today that even in this Christmas season, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've come into this building with today, I hope that you are a celebrator of Christmas. Man, maybe you've got a Christmas tree in like every room. You're like that guy. You're like that person that, that's in like in your kitchen. You got a small kitchen, but there's a Christmas tree. It's amazing, right? Like you went as far as to, to put decorate a Christmas tree and put it on top of your car. Like it's just like, this. You're, you know, you're laughing because you're that person. You're like driving around with a Christmas tree in your car. It's amazing. Like there's some Christmas freaks out there. Awesome. But we can't lose the true reason for the season. We can't, we can't ignore that it truly was God who left heaven to come to this dot called earth amongst the universe that so we lose earth real quick in the depth of the universe to these billions and billions and billions and billions of all of these other dots called his creation, his greatest creation of mankind on this little dot called earth. And in this season, man, I have found myself looking at Psalms 8 and, and looking at verse one, it says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Majesty in a manger, how majestic, how excellent, how brilliant, how much value, how much worth. This is what this means. How majestic is your name in all the earth. For you have displayed your splendor. You have displayed, you have put majesty on display. You have displayed your splendor. You put your beauty on display. You've shown us your honor. You've, you've shown us your work for it's on display and it's above the heavens. And church, when, when, you, when you get all this and you know, wow, yes, God, you did all that and I can see that you are all powerful. I see that you truly are majestic and you are splendid and you are holy and you are, we, we are called to honor you and walk in this healthy, holy fear of you in all of your majesty. And I find myself in verse three, it says this, for when I consider your heavens, 
the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained. For what is man that you even take thought of him? And what is the son of man that you care for him? Church, it is my, my hope and my goal that today we try to unpack what our mindset is in the awe and wonder of, of truly God left heaven and put on flesh and the creator of the universe as we see the stars and they just, they scream of the greatness and the grandeur and the majesty of God. They just speak of his ability that he's all powerful. And then we know that, okay, amongst this little place called earth that just zooms out and you lose it quick in the universe. And that, yet on that earth, there's all these billions of little dots that you created in all of majesty that you left heaven. Man, I hope that we can come to a place to say, come on, God, really? Like, who am I? Who am I in all of your grandeur that you even take thought of me? Who am I that you even think I'm just a dot amongst billions of other dots on this tiny little place called earth that's just a dot in the universe? But God, you know my name. God, every time a sparrow falls, every time a sparrow falls, God, you know it. And you say that I'm more valuable than a bird, but yet you take account for every time a sparrow falls, how much more your love for me. I mean, could this be true? Believer's Chapel, could this be really true? Could it be true? That all of what we have set up here and all of this amazing picture, we've got hay and we've got this incredible stable and we've got a manger that's just filled with lights of his majesty and his wonder. But is it really true that all of that, all of that that you park right here on chapter eight, verse three of Psalms to say, God, who am I? Do we get that? Do we actually think we're something and God's nothing? And do we think, God, you're everything. And I'm amazed that you even think about me. I'm in all wonder that you even would consider me in all of it. God, you know my name. Psalm 139 gives me this amazing picture that says he thinks about me more than there are the sands of the sea. Now, if you've been to the beach and you just pick up one sand or you build this big, huge sand castle, or maybe you're the dude who, who digs the pit, like you're trying to, I don't know where you're digging to, but like it, like, you got to fill that in. Someone's going to get swallowed up in your sand. But like you're making this pile and that's just one enormous pile or one beautiful, incredible castle. And how many grains of sand are just in that? And the one who spoke the stars into existence and all of his grandeur and all of his majesty. He says, Sean, I know your name. And to put this thing in a scale, I know every time a sparrow falls, and Sean, you're way more valuable than the sparrow. If I know that, I know everything about you. I know the hairs on your head. I shall not think about you more than there are the sands of the sea. Church, what is it for this season to realize that that God loved you so much that he left heaven and he put on flesh to deal with our sin issue, 
so that we can be reconciled back to him, that that means enemy to friend, and that took a sacrifice, and that was Jesus Christ. And the only way that that could come through is the awe and the wonder and the majesty that laid in a manger. And I never want us to miss that. I mean, this is why truly we worship the way we worship. This is why we brag and we boast on Jesus. And, you know, the whole theme, go tell it on the mountain, that whole song. Like, it's on us to know this and then be the spokesperson and let them know Jesus Christ was born. Like, the King of kings, the King of all eternity. He that which is Lord over all. He left heaven and put on flesh. And Jesus Christ truly was born so that he could be the sacrifice to deal with the sin issue. This should be our brag. This should be our boasting during our Christmas season that Jesus is truly the reason for the season. And this is what we boast on. And this is what we brag on. Yes, we love our trees. Yes, we love our gifts. Yes, we love the shopping unless it's Walmart yesterday. But that's a different story. Dude. Anyways, um, that wasn't fun. But anyways, there Okay, real quick. I'm in an aisle, and you can tell one of the workers is just having, having a day. She's having a day. And she has her name there, and then underneath, she works apparently in the fragile department. Like, I don't know what that means, but on her name tag was fragile. And she's having a day. And I just ask her one question. I'm like, oh boy, this is loaded. And um, I'm like, I said, ma'am, you really are fragile, aren't you? <laughs> like, with a smile, I'm trying to make her day. And she looked down her name tag, and she's like, you know what? I am fragile today. Like, I, and it was, it turned into a great moment. She had no idea what I was looking for, but it turned into a great moment. It was incredible. But anyways, like church, look to, look to be kind and look to have an opportunity to maybe spread the good news, right? So you, you look at this and you come to a place to say, this is why we celebrate Christmas. It truly was the Lord who was above all creation the very one that the stars are screaming out to, we find him literally in a feeding trough. Nothing grander about that, but yet that which was in the manger is that which was majestic, that was holy, that was perfect, was found to be in a feeding trough. And, and, and we, we look to that. Please turn with me, Hosea chapter three. And as I was praying through the message for, for our Christmas season. And there were three things that came, came to my heart. And it truly was that God is with us. That's Emmanuel. We know that through, through Old Testament, New Testament, we realize that that's the name that was given by the angel. And that's the name that was given through Isaiah to the prophet Isaiah. This is, that was prophesied. He shall be called Emmanuel. That is God with us. And then Gabriel made that very clear to Mary. And just, you go through this to Mary and Joseph and you go this like, okay, he is God with us. We get that Old Testament, New Testament, like that is huge to realize that that is the Christmas story. That was God who left heaven, found himself in a feeding trough so that he could be with us. That was last week. But the other two parts to this is God is with us. And, and number two is God is for us. And number three is God is in us. Church, what happens when you begin to realize it's way more than just the manger? There's so much to the virgin birth. There's so much to keep that bloodline clean that there's no sin of DNA through, uh, through the woman. That only comes through the male. And therefore, there is this perfect of all innocence, no sin line now in Jesus. And this had to happen this way. And that's amazing and we celebrate that. And yes, that is God with us. But more than that, what happens when you understand God came with us so that he could be for us? 
And more than that, that when I get saved and truly born again, he's not just for me. He now actually is dwelling within me by his Holy Spirit. It's God with me. It's God for me. And we're going to unpack that. And then it's God in me. And all of this is because he came in a manger. And man, when we begin to see this, I want to show you this amazing true story uh, in Hosea chapter three. And I love this story. I love this story, and this is a true story. And Hosea is one of, the, one, of the, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, and God used prophets and spoke through prophets, and God gives Hosea an assignment. And church, this is one of those assignments from God. You're just like, ah, nah, I don't, I don't know if this is where I would want to be as a prophet. Listen, people knew Hosea. He was God's spokesman. So people understood Isaiah is a man of God. Hosea has a healthy health, a holy fear of God. Hosea speaks, this is huge, he speaks on behalf of God, and people knew it. And then there's this place where, where God Almighty says, Hosea, I've got an assignment for you. And church, in this assignment, God makes it very clear, this, this, he makes it very clear. My people will know that I am for them, and I am towards them. My people will know, watch this now, that I love them, and that I am faithful to them. Church, what is it in your world? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your circle of friends. In my marriage, man, I, and I know that my wife is for me and I know that she is towards me. Renee loves me and Renee is faithful and Renee is loyal. I love Renee and I'm faithful and I am loyal. Like we know that. If there's anything in your marriage, if it truly is a love and there is a loyalty in that relationship. There, there, that is a powerhouse relationship. If you have a circle of friends, people in your world that you can ask this question about, can I trust you? And do you really care about me? If you're new to Believer's Chapel, you haven't heard this yet. We say it often. I speak it to the young adults. I speak it to the college kids. I speak it to the teenagers. When you're dating somebody or before you date somebody, you have to ask this question specifically before you marry anybody. Can I trust you? Have we built that up? And do you really care about me? Do you love me for everything about me? Past, present, future, will you love me? I don't know the future. No, you don't. But I, go, I need to know that you're going to love me in it. Hosea is this story of God saying, Hosea, I need you to be the example. I need you to be the example of me and a fallen people where God's chosen people, Israel, have turned their back on God at this point. They have rejected God. They have now gone after other gods. They are now gone after fake idols. They are now gone after false gods. They have turned their back on God. You could imagine that God would be like, I'm, enough, I'm done with you people. Enough. I'm done with my creation. It's over. I chose you. I'm out with you. I'm done. And you could imagine that God could have just closed the door and said, "Dah, game over. But he's like, no, Hosea, they need to know my character. They need to know who I am. They need to know my pursuit of them. They need to know that I love them. And they need to know that I'm faithful to them, even when they're not. Hosea, this is the story. And church, in this story, we can truly gather, and I want this to be something that you grasp truly in your spirit today, that you walk out of this place, that you would know that baby in a manger he put himself on a cross for me. Man, he loves me. And in that, I know this, that God, even, watch this, even if I'm not there yet, even if I am a believer and I know that I have fallen into sin, 
My encouragement to you is to repent and turn back to the Lord for he loves you. This might be that day for you because the story is a true story of God's pursuit of those who've turned his back on them. That's the story that we would know that God is for me. Even at times when I'm not for him. Even at times when I've turned my back on him. Even in times when I have struggled to cry out to him, I've struggled to talk to him, I've struggled to even remember his presence. Even in those times, this story is a true story. That God says, I am for you. Yes, I came to be with you. But when you unpack what has taken place by the work of the miracle of the manger, and the mission of the manger. You realize he came because he wants to be for you. And this is, this is that story. And pick it up in, in, in Hosea chapter 1, please. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Barry. And it goes through this. As God came to Hosea, we need to get into verse 2. It says this. And when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, here's the assignment. Go take for yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. The land meaning his people. He's like, listen, my people have forsaken me. They have, they have gone into spiritual adultery. This is what this is. They have broken covenant with me. I have called them to me. I am their God. They are supposed to be my people. And they have broken covenant with me. They have turned to other gods. They have turned to a false way. They have turned their back on me. And, and this, is, this is the story. This is where the people are. And God comes to Hosea and gives him this assignment. Listen, this is what I need you to do. Because my people have played spiritual adultery with me. Because my people have turned aside from me. I need you to go marry a prostitute. Hold, woo, hold on a minute. Like, what? You want, you want me to do what? I need you to marry a prostitute and then I need you to have children with that prostitute. And, and Hosea, it's not going to go well because guess what? When she's married to you, she's still going to act like a prostitute. Church is a true story. So the prophet obeys God and goes and marries a woman named Gomer. If your name is Gomer, <laughs> great name for a dog, but I don't, I, I don't know. But anyways, um, he, he married Gomer. That would have been the first red flag. But anyway, if your name's Gomer, I'm sorry. But like, like, like hey, hello, Gomer. Like, hey. Um, so he marries Gomer, who's a prostitute. And guess what she does? She keeps causing adultery. She keeps in the life of harlotry. She keeps sleeping with other men. So much so that now she's just gone. She's completely abandoned Hosea. And like God is like, ah, this is the plan. Hosea, stick with it. Like this is, I'm making a point here, Hosea. I'm making a point. So here he marries her. She cheats on him so much that she leaves him. And she finds herself in the depth of sin and the depth of trash and the depth of, of prostitution. 
that literally she's now, this is crazy, she's now up for sale as a female slave. Exodus tells us that female slaves were worth 30 pieces of silver. That's what a female slave was going for. I want you to see the story. Chapter three, verse one, it says this. Then the Lord said to me, this is his second coming to, 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 to Hosea, his second speaking to Hosea. And then the Lord said to me, go again. The Lord said to me, go again. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even, here it is, watch this, highlight this, underline this, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Raisin cakes is symbolic to sexual sin and sexual idols, even though they love raisin cakes. Like, even as, just like, this is what he's saying, listen, you need to go again, and you need to, my people need to know that I am towards them, and I am for them, no matter what condition, no matter how far they've gone, no matter if they've turned their back they need to know that I will always do my part that's what God is saying here God's like I will always do my part that I love them and I'm faithful and I will pursue them and I will pursue them and I will pursue them Hosea you're the example you be me in this place to say go again and find her just like she represents us she represents you who've turned your back on God. There is hope. Please hear me. There is hope for you. Yes, there is majesty and a manger and an understanding that Jesus came to reveal the very heart of God, that he is for you and he is towards you. And I love this story. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband and yet an adulteress, even as the Lord has loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raising cakes. And this is what he says, verse two. So I, had, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. You know what it tells me when he says, I have bought her back for 15 shekels of silver when the going price was 30. Hosea gave everything that he had to get her back. He says, I don't have, I'm about halfway with the silver, but I've got this, this homer and a half, which is like huge barrels of barley. I, this, this is what I got. And again, could you imagine putting yourself in Hosea's shoes? Like he's a big deal. He's a prophet. He's God's chosen man. And now he has to humble himself to go find his wife. Hey, uh, <clears throat> hey, she's my wife. You know, the price is 30. I, man, I ain't got 30. I got 15. That's all I got, man. I got, I got barley. This is, I'm giving you everything that I've got. Church, isn't it incredible that Jesus Christ, he came and left heaven and put on flesh. And he gave everything he had in, in his whole life. He put himself on a cross as a sacrifice and gave up his life to buy us back, to pay for you and I. And God is like, listen, they need to know that I am towards them and that I am for them. 
Church, what is it to know that God loves you? I mean, what is it to really, really know, to know no matter where I'm at, no matter how far I've gone, I know that God loves me. And maybe you're in this place or maybe you're listening online or on the radio and you've never truly come to a full decision that God loves me so much so that Jesus Christ sacrificed everything just as Hosea did to buy back his bride. She's mine. She belongs to me. She's my wife. Like I love her. Like that's what he says for a man who loves his wife. God loves us. We're the bride. Don't forget that, right? God loves us so much so that he gave everything that he had in his son, Jesus Christ, put flesh on in a manger so that he could find himself on a cross to pay the ultimate price to buy us back. That's a demonstration of God's love for you. Can you put up Romans 5, please? I want you to see this. I want you to understand the reality, but God demonstrates his own love for us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Keep that up just for a minute. Like church, what is a demonstration? When, when something is demonstrated, it can't be denied. Well, when you go through a demonstration, it, it can't be denied. Like you go to Cutco and they cut the penny in half, right? You're like, oh man, that's pretty cool. And then you try it with your scissors at home and your scissors break. <laughs> like it didn't work. Like I don't know what they did, but they've got this ultimate set of scissors that cut through pennies and you're just like because that's demonstrated and I see that just because my scissors don't work doesn't mean that those scissors don't work I saw it it's demonstrated it's real it happened and church look at this do you know this when there is a demonstrated love how far did God go to demonstrate that he loves us but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, the demonstration was this. He put his son on a cross. And church, when you realize and understand what that means, that God demonstrated his love for us, that his son had to be brutally, just physically destroyed. His son had to be loved on and then betrayed. His son had to go through these emotions of being 100% man because he was born in the flesh, 100% man, to put himself in a place to understand what it is to be trusted and then to be betrayed, to know what it is to be arrested and to be found innocent, to know what it is to be found uh, tied to a post, that you've got these Roman soldiers just shredding his back and his sides and his stomach and just the, the whip wrapping around his body, tearing flesh off his body for what? Because God demonstrated his love. There is a demonstration that cannot be denied that God is for me and God is towards me. And he demonstrated that. And this is the assignment of Hosea to say, just like me, go and buy her back. And church, this is the best news. Just like this, God bought us back by the incredible, beautiful demonstration of his son on a cross. And when we get this and when we understand that demonstration, it was Jesus Christ on a cross for us. You can, you can take that down now. I, mean, I, want, I want us to understand that it can't ever be denied of how much God loves you. And the whole purpose of the manger was for God to put on flesh for the mission was to go to the cross so that once again, God could demonstrate his love for you and for me by brutally destroying his son and putting his son to grief. Isaiah 53 says that that pleased God 
because he was the iniquity. He, he, he was the fix to our iniquity, for we all have fallen away. And Jesus Christ came to deal with our sin issue. At church, when you're sitting here today and you're just like, no, that is a love that is demonstrated. And that demonstration was his son hanging on a cross to be unrecognizable as a human being. We can never deny that God is towards you and he is for you. And the ultimate price has been paid already in order to buy you back. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Can you put that up, please? I want you to say it. For I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with my loving kindness. I have loved you with a love that is everlasting. There's no end to his love. And with that love, I have drawn you to my loving kindness. Church, what happens when you know even today that God is pursuing you? The Bible says this in Luke 19.10, that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you believe that there is a pursuit just as Hosea pursued Gomer? God has pursued you and I with his demonstrated love that Jesus Christ, the mission of the manger was he was to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. I love this. He is in the ultimate pursuit. Seek means to chase down. Seek means to pursue. So Jesus Christ came with us in the manger so that he could pursue us, seek us and save us by the beautiful demonstration of God's love by putting himself on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice of the price that had to be paid on behalf of you and I. So church, what is it when you really begin just to see the reality and the truth of the most famous verse of God so loved the world? that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Like all of this, Sean, all of this comes through the manger. All of this truly is the majesty and the excellence and the brilliance and the radiance of the one that was in the manger and his brilliance and his excellence that it truly was the creator of the heaven and the earth that found himself in a feed trough for you and for me. To know that that is God who is with us, but that is God who is for us. That is God who loves us with such a love. Church, the second part of God being for us and to know that is yes, that he loves us, but what is it to know that he is faithful and that he is loyal? What is it to have a husband or a wife that you can say, no, my wife is faithful, man, she's loyal. She's loyal. What is it to have a husband that you know, no, my husband, man, he is faithful. Man, he is, I trust him. He's loyal. Come on, turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 13, please. Hebrews chapter 13. And I want you to see this so that we can proclaim that even today. That we may confidently understand that God is with me and God is faithful and that God is loyal. And I know that there's many who have been betrayed. I know there's many who, who truly don't understand what it is to have a husband or a wife that is loyal or have a friend that is truly faithful, have a friend who is loyal that you know, no matter what happens in life, I know that I'll have this friend standing either behind me, pushing me or standing, behind, standing next to me as we go forward. And it's just, it's so great to know, even in, in, the, in the flesh, to have people in your life that, man, I'm going to be behind you. 
and I'm gonna be pushing you. And when you need me to come up next to you, I'm gonna walk beside you. What is it to have that in your marriage? What is it to have that as a husband or a wife? What is it to have that in a circle of friends or influence that are true friends? What is that even more so to have that as, as our God and as our King? Sean, can I really believe that? Can I really believe that God goes behind me? Can I really believe that God comes up beside me? Can I really, really trust that God is always faithful? He will always do his part. Come on, Hebrews 13 gives us this amazing picture. Church, you get this from an Old Testament statement in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. And, and, and I want you to see this in, in Hebrews 13. It applies to us here in the New Testament. It says this. Verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, again, this goes back to Old Testament, NASB capitalizes it so you know that it's a, it's a rephrase from the Old Testament found in, in, in Deuteronomy 31. It says this. This is the promise, church. Come on, I just want to speak to wherever you're at today. Again, maybe Christmas is the most wonderful time of year for you, and that's incredible. High five. I love that. Or maybe it's a difficult time for you. Or maybe 2023 has just been a complete train wreck. And you're like, oh man, the wheels are falling off. Like maybe it's just that. And it is my hope that by the Holy Spirit this morning, there is something that is done that transfers from this verse to your spirit. I believe the word of God is alive and powerful. And I want there to be a transfer from his word to your soul. That even in this moment, man, there is just this, this boiling up of confidence that even today by the Holy Spirit, you are reminded that that manger, it truly meant that God is for me. And he's still for me today. And it just simply says this. For God himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never, never means never. Sean, I will never. I will, have you ever heard that maybe in the flesh from somebody? Man, I will never again. And then you're just like, ah. That lasted a week, and you're just like, Dad, it's, and it just, what does that do when you hear it from man? I will never, and then they do it again. No, 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 you gotta trust me this time. I will never, oh, and then there's just complete failure. But when God says, it's way different. When God says, Sean, listen, I will never desert you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's not speaking on behalf of fallen man. He's speaking on behalf of majestic, holy, perfect, almighty, all-knowing God who says, Sean, listen, listen, listen. I will never desert you. I will never, ever, ever, ever forsake you. You need to know this. 
Sean, I am towards you. Sean, I am for you. Yeah, I know. And again, my mind goes back to Psalm 8. God, who am I that you even take thought of me, God? I'm like, really me? Who am I that you even think about me? No, God goes way beyond that because he's God. Because we celebrate that God came with us to understand that God is for us, that that baby in the manger certainly absolutely was Jesus Christ, who is God, Jesus Christ, who is Lord, Jesus Christ, who is King. So that God can declare once again, Sean, I will never desert you. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, this reigns true as a promise, for I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. I love when you understand I will never desert you. Church, sometimes we need a picture to a word. When it says, Sean, I will never desert you. You've got to hold on to this. I will never desert you. The word desert means I will never loosen my grasp on you. Bible tells us that he will take us by the righteous right hand. He will walk before us and he will go behind us and he will be on our side. And he says, Sean, I will never loosen my grip. Sean, I will never loosen my grip. I am towards you and I am for you. Here's the result, church. When you get this, when that sinks into your spirit, when you realize, no, God will always do his part. God will always do his part. When he gives you a promise as his child, as his son or his daughter, that you have come to the place of truth and you've come to the place to truly be born again, that you've accepted the forgiveness of sins. You get that, you understand that, and you know that, no, I am a child of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I've repented from my sin. I believed in Jesus as Savior. I have confessed him as Lord. Then this reigns true for you, no matter where you're at. No, God is pursuing you, and God is after you, and God says, just like Hosea, that's me. I'm coming after you to buy you back again no matter where we're at God says Sean I will never desert you my grasp on you is as tight as it's ever been so that look at the verse we may confidently say there's something from that verse that transfers to the next verse. There's something that if I really get this, if I really believe that God in a manger, Christ in a manger, put himself on a cross so that this can be true for me. If I believe this in verse five, then where does it resonate in verse six? Where does it go from verse five to buy in to the promise? I will never desert you and I will never forsake you so that we, that's us, that I may confidently say this. Here it is, verse six, that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid for what can man do to me? Church, where are we in this? I want you to take verse five. I want it to resonate from verse six. Verse five is God's promise. Verse six is what we do with it. Verse five is God's promise. 
Verse 6 is what you do with it. Come on up here and stand to your feet, please. That we may confidently say, let there be a boldness, let there be a confidence to really say, God, you are for me. That I may confidently say, the Lord is my help. Here it is. And I will no longer be afraid. Come on, bow your heads with me just for a moment, please. Man, this new song that we started singing this morning, we're going to sing it again tonight. There's such an incredible picture. It speaks of the shadow of the cross. Church, the victory is in the shadow of the cross because the wrath of God was pinpointed for you and I because sin equals death. That we all deserve God's wrath. That's what we rightfully deserve. We own that. We've earned that. We own that. And we deserve the wrath of God. But then the cross got in the way of that. And Jesus Christ put himself on purpose in the way of God's head for me. And it's incredible when you, you've heard me say this before, but I just get this picture of me behind the cross and then God's wrath being poured out, supposed to be on me. But I stand behind the glorious cross and the wrath of God was poured out on his son and that safe zone is behind the shadow of the cross. There is victory. we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will no longer be afraid. Come on with heads bowed. I just want you to say that in your, in your spirit before we sing and we close this out. And, and tonight's going to be a power, powerful night as we get into. There's nothing magnificent about the manger, but everything about it is miraculous. And then we're going to have a drama. We're going to have candlelight, sing a holy night. It's going to be a powerful powerful entrance into our tomorrow and celebration and Christmas. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss tonight. But right here, right now. Can I come to believe, verse 5, so that I may this day confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will no longer be afraid. Oh, heads bowed. Can you just say that into your spirit, please? I will no longer be afraid. I will no longer be afraid. The promise is true. God will never desert me. He will never forsake me. His grip on me is as strong as it's ever been. He will never let me go. Why am I so afraid? a moment today where fear just has to go in the name of Jesus. That today there is a confidence that you did not have coming into this place. The God by his spirit will move in this moment that will rebuild your confidence in a moment to say, no, I believe verse five. I've never seen the connection from verse five to verse six, but today I do. And man, I want, I want that. Man, I, I have lost my confidence. Therefore, when I've lost my confidence, I've opened the door to fear. Today it changes. 
Now, if you're comfortable, would you just raise your hands with me, please? And I'm just going to pray. Father, I just pray over every person in this place and online and on the radio. God, because of the work of the manger, because of your majesty and your excellence and your power and your authority and your brilliance, your glory, God, we can buy into the truth of Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It's just so simple because we know that you are for us. That was demonstrated. And today we just say, God, I will fear no more. I will no longer fear. Let there be a confidence. God, let there be a supernatural work of confidence within our spirits today that we may boldly say, that we may boldly say, that we may say with confidence, boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid for what can man do to me. Church, that's majesty and the manger for us. And if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know Jesus, you're truly not born again. Please know this, man. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus said. I'm the only way. You can't be good enough. You can't be church enough. You can't be generous enough. You can't be religious enough. It's only Jesus. And let the Spirit of God move in you in such a powerful way today that it is revealed to you that you need Jesus. Every single person who's ever walked this earth, they know that they're a sinner. They know that. It's driven in their heart. There's an absolute need because of that sin for Jesus. And in this moment that you would cry out to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. I turn away from my sin. I repent. I call sin, sin. I know that that is the issue. And I'm a sinner. And I believe in your amazing grace. Jesus, you died for me. You took the hit for me. And I invite you in my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I confess that you are Lord. I give up. I surrender. You are Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill me and abide with me and dwell within me. And that I'd walk in your fullness. In Jesus' mighty name. Church, let's close out in song. We'll see you tonight. If you need prayer for any reason, you want to talk more about Jesus. We'd love to talk about Jesus. We'd love to meet you right up front here. Come on.